Hello, Rebecca Mays here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. I want to acknowledge that this program was recorded on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and that their sovereignty has never been ceded. This episode of Stick Together was produced on Jarjarwarang country and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. It is brought to you on your local community radio station thanks to the Community Broadcasting Foundation. This week, we'll hear an update on the protection of sacred trees on Japarong country. And, with the continued struggle for workers at the Coles Smeaton Grange Warehouse and the recent launch of Hospo Voice's new app called Mobilize, it seems like the right time to have a bit of a discussion about the pros and cons of automation. But first, some union news. Earlier this month, the New Daily reported on the exploitation of migrant workers in the horticultural industry, revealing that a human trafficking-style network is feeding international workers to Australian farms where they're being exploited, mistreated and threatened, all for less than $10 an hour. Mr D, a man in his 50s from Inner Mongolia, is blowing the lid on his experience on one of New South Wales' biggest horticultural farms. The farm near Coffs Harbour employs about... 50 workers who are forced to start at 6am every day and pick until 6pm. In summer they work until 9pm. There are no days off, not even breaks. There's no rest on Saturday or Sunday whatsoever, he said. Mr D took the picking job at the farm after seeing an advertisement in a Chinese language group on Facebook. It promised good working conditions and hourly pay, but the reality was very different. He did two stints on the farm, the first last year and then, desperate for money and lured back with promises that conditions had improved again this year for a 100 days. On the farm, there are only five toilets for 50 people and if workers don't get up early enough, they have to go in the greenhouses next to the crops. It looks so dirty because they don't have a toilet, so workers pee on the vegetables and you know, they have poo everywhere, said Mr D. It's horrible. The showers are the same. There are only 10. So to get one, you have to line up early. The doors don't work. There's no privacy. The farm owner, who has connections in China, employs only Chinese workers, many from poor areas who have been brought over on the promise of making big dollars in Australia. Those workers have to pay the traffic agents or a farmer a large sum of money to come to Australia to be exploited like this. I know at least three people who paid 250,000 yuan to come to work in this farm. This is equivalent to 50,000 Australian dollars. Many on the farm don't know their rights, are scared of the outside world and are abused by the farm owner who threatens them with deportation, he said. Workers share steel containers that are 8 square metres. They're blistering hot in summer and freezing in winter. The workers are careful in their conversations with each other. If they dob in someone who is considering leaving or complaining, they are rewarded in their pay. They have no idea what the outside is like, so they wouldn't leave because they are very afraid of the outside world, he said. Because he spoke up, Mr D got $10 an hour, but he said some of the workers received as little as $8. Workers on hourly rates are often asked to lie or sign forms with incorrect hours, and some on peace rates don't even know how much they should be paid. Farm work has become a contentious issue in recent months with farmers and government crying out for boots on the ground, suggesting a labour shortage of backpackers means this year's harvest will go to waste. But Australians are struggling to get jobs in the industry, with job seekers reporting farmers turn them down because they're not as exploitable as foreigners. 
Australian Workers' Union National Secretary Dave, Daniel Walton said Mr D's story, while shocking, was not surprising. The industry has tried to paint it as a picture of a few bad apples. It's not the case, Mr Walton said. He said dodgy farmers, along with labour hire companies, ran similar operations across the country. A lot of them get their passports taken off them. They're intimidated. They've got limited time out to purchase food and veggies. They are kept and treated like slaves and pawned like slaves. They're sold on a promise of obviously much higher wages, better conditions, support to transition into other visa types. The reality is none of that happens. The horticulture industry has been allowed to run wild. The government program designed to ensure workers are not exploited, called Fair Farms, has only had 30 sign up, and the process is largely self-regulated. Despite this, the government has pushed ahead with its campaign to get unemployed workers, including gap year students, out onto Australia's hardest workspace. The AWU wants change. In a letter to Prime Minister Scott Morrison, Mr Walton has called for a Royal Commission into the industry. Australia's horticultural sector has become characterised by a culture of exploitation, abuse and wage theft, such that illegality is now a business model, it reads. The majority of horticultural workers in Australia are captive to exploitation at the hands of criminal enterprises, and it has become a national disgrace. Several hundred Coles workers and supporters marched from Hyde Park through the city streets to the Broadway shopping centre on December 12th in protest at the lockout of 350 workers from the Smeaton Grange warehouse. They sat down on the road outside the shopping centre to make their case. Chants of, who stole Christmas, Coles stole Christmas, echoed up and down Parramatta Road as passers-by took flyers and expressed solidarity. The lockout is part of Coles' automatisation drive. The Coles CEO received a 29% pay rise this year, while the company sacks its long-term workers, a United Workers' Union delegate told the crowd. The mainstream media paint us as greedy, but we are only seeking to defend our jobs and conditions. Coles have done better out of the COVID-19 pandemic than almost any other company. We are calling on the community to support us and boycott Coles over the holiday period. UWU delegates and organisers said Coles was planning to replace 1,500 permanent positions with 50. Mark, who had been with Coles for 38 years, said the Smeaton Grange warehouse workers had been without pay for weeks and that Coles was not interested in bargaining in good faith. All we are asking for is secure jobs, Mark said. Automation is about all of our futures. Coles is currently building a new automated warehouse, but so far have refused to give skilled and long-serving warehouse workers in Smeaton Grange an opportunity to be redeployed to the new warehouse. Some of these workers have worked for the company for over 30 years. Workers are seeking improved redundancy to include an automation settlement, the right to transfer to the new Coles warehouse and job security in the form of a permanent-to-casual ratio. In a show of good faith, workers recently endorsed accepting the company's current wage offer if Coles agrees to start negotiating with them on the issues of a just transition and job security. Yeah. <laughs>
world for Australia. We need to be telling everyone every day about what the union means. And it means not letting people stay locked out of their workplaces. Are we going to win this? Yeah. Lockdown sent schools scrambling, home offices were set up, lesson plans were shelved and new programs hastily written. And for educators at many schools, there was another risk, making sure that every student could access their education, either online or at least from home. For some teachers that meant sourcing laptops and internet dongles so students without home internet access had a connection and a device to work on. For others, it meant a return to pen and paper lessons and travelling to homes to drop off photocopied work packs, because the task of equipping all students with laptops was simply too great. COVID-19 brought into stark light a truth that governments have spent the best part of two decades trying to ignore. There is a deep digital divide in our schools, and it is getting wider. Lack of access to the tools that so many of us take for granted has long disadvantaged tens of thousands of students. But when schools switched to remote learning, it became critical. Now, armed with new figures that show the extent of the problem, the Australian Education Union is calling for the federal government to act by drawing up funded plans to ensure every child has the tools they need to learn and the training to use them. A report by researcher Barbara Preston, commissioned by the union, takes a deep dive through published census and other data to reveal that 125,000 students in Australian public schools had no home internet access at the time of the last census in 2016. As recently as 2019, 4 million Australians had only mobile internet access, according to the Australian Digital Inclusion Index. For students without a space of their own at home to work uninterrupted, the need to scrap for a connection on a phone with a limited data plan, which might also be required by a parent for work or job hunting, is an added burden. COVID-19 hasn't created the digital divide. It's exposed the deep inequality in digital inclusion that exists for our students, says AEU Federal President Corina Haythorpe. That has been exacerbated by the social disadvantage faced by students in rural and remote locations, students living in poverty and students who live in insecure housing or in unstable households. Digital inclusion requires digital ability as well as access to affordable and appropriate hardware and software. Digital ability requires skills, knowledge, confidence and a sense of control when using information technology and the internet. That takes resources and time to develop, and without it there cannot be successful digitally based learning away from school, whether it is remote learning, homework or independent study. The AEU is calling for a digital equity audit to identify the hardware, software, training and development required to give schools and educators the capacity to provide extra learning support for students. So far, the federal government has shown little interest in addressing the issue. Loans to students of laptops and dongles by states and territories such as Victoria and New South Wales provide a stopgap measure. You're listening to Stick Together, worker stories and union news, broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network.
This week, the Federal Court overturned Environment Minister Susan Lay's decision to reject an appeal for the protection of six trees in the path of a highway upgrade on Japarong Country. The ABC reported Justice John Griffith's ruling that a fresh decision on the matter be made by a relevant party other than Ms Lay and that the Federal Government cover the applicant's costs. The appeal for protection was made by Japarong Heritage Protection Embassy members Sandra Onus and Marjorie Thorpe. The 12.5km section of the highway duplication project between Buangor and Ararat had already been put on hold because of a separate action in the Victorian Supreme Court. An injunction remains in place and a trial is scheduled to begin in February. Planning errors, protests and litigation by landowners have all delayed the works, leaving the project years behind schedule. The ruling marks the third time the government has had a decision on the matter overturned since the first application for protection was lodged in 2018. Justice Griffiths said Ms Lay had made an error by concluding that five of the trees for which protection was sought were not at risk of damage or desecration based on their close proximity to the highway. Two of those trees are hollow and have been used by Aboriginals for over 50 generations for multiple purposes, including giving birth and providing shelter, Justice Griffiths said in his judgment. The trees are situated in a significant area near the Hopkins River. They are connected to songlines and stories which extend beyond the specified area. The judgment noted that Ms Lay had not viewed a map showing how close the highway would come to the trees, which she had agreed were culturally significant. The minister's analysis fails to grapple with the complex and nuanced cultural and spiritual heritage associated with the trees and the effect on that heritage by the alignment of the highway in close proximity to them, the judgment said. Justice Griffiths said the court had taken the somewhat unusual step of referring a fresh decision on the matter to another minister or assistant minister connected with the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Heritage Protection Act. That, he said, was because an informed lay observer might apprehend that the minister may not conduct a reconsideration with an open mind. I think the government should take the following advice from Larissa Baldwin, First Nations Justice Campaign Director for GetUp. Heritage protection acts as supposed to protect Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultural heritage and sacred sites. But for years, mining corporations and industry have been undermining and white-anding our legislation. The patchwork of state and territory legislation is leaving thousands of cultural heritage sites at risk. What we see this year in the Jukin Caves is happening right across the country, and there is no legislation at any level that can stop the destruction from happening again. After the Jukin Caves, we've seen an enormous outrage and backlash, not only at a domestic level, but internationally. At a state and federal level, people have demanded inquiries to look into what happened, how it happened, and how we stop it from happening again. First of all, we need a federal act. We need a check and balance at a federal level because we know the patchwork of state and territory legislation is not working. We need a federal act that's co-designed with traditional owners, meaning the people who know and have responsibility and custodianship over cultural heritage are the people that are in the room making decisions on how to protect it. If you wanted to find out what was happening with your cultural heritage and talk to the appropriate minister, guess which minister you'd have to currently talk to? The environment minister. This is part of the reason why so much destruction has happened. Because rightfully, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander traditional owners are going to the Minister for Indigenous Affairs asking about their cultural heritage. We need to make sure that the legislation moves portfolios to the minister that it makes sense to sit under. Of the thousands of artefacts that were pulled from the Jukin Caves before it was destroyed, there was a hairbelt that was thousands of years old. 
whose DNA could be tested and directly linked to the traditional owners and the families that are there today. But this new information was not enough to ensure that the site was not destroyed. Any Cultural Heritage Act that doesn't give traditional owners the right to veto, the right to say, no, we don't want our cultural heritage destroyed, isn't worth the paper it's written on. Under the current legislation, there was no consequences for blowing up a site that was 10 times older than the pyramids. Our Cultural Heritage Act needs some teeth. That means enforcing big fines, legal consequences, people losing their jobs like the Rio Tinto CEO did, and yes, traditional owners should be compensated. Australia is home to the oldest continuing culture in the world. Cultural heritage is everybody's business. So we heard in the news about some of the impacts that automation is having on the way we live and work. Automation has left workers at the Coles Smeaton Grange warehouse fighting for their livelihoods, and the automation of the classroom has left many students without access to education. COVID-19 has seen an acceleration of this automation process as it has been necessary to distance ourselves socially, and moving more and more processes and procedures online has exacerbated many inequalities that already existed within our capitalist market system. One of the other issues that comes with automation is privacy. We're sharing data all the time, and one of the main ways we do that is through apps. Earlier this month, Hospo Voice launched their new app called Mobilize. Let's hear from Jess, James and Jules about the app and how it will help workers. Welcome very much. It is the official launch of Mobilize, which is our new app to help hospitality workers fight back, learn our rights and make sure we're getting paid properly at work. We wanted to tell you what it's all about Mobilize is a place where you can ask questions and get them answered. However, there are also a bunch of other really uh, powerful tools that workers can use to fight back and win. The first one I'm going to tell you about is the pay checker. You may be able to guess what you can do with that by its name. What you can do is pop in all the details of your job. So, you know, what sort? you don't have to know whether you are a level one or a level two or a level three, which can often be really difficult information to find out. So all you actually have to do is tick a few boxes about what your job entails, what your role entails at work. And from that information and also things like uh, what kind of venue you work at, uh, whether or not you get paid holidays, the paychecker will be able to tell you how much you should be getting paid and also let you know that classification and level and your award. And so then you actually have all the information you need. It tells you um, your penalty rates and when you should get them. Uh, it is super, super handy. The next tool that is also very, very handy is Record My Hours. Now, we all know that sometimes uh, some of the dodgier places, maybe record keeping isn't uh, done as well as it should be. And that's why it's so important to keep your own records. So being able to have all of your hours recorded in one place, you can also put in how much you are paid. So if you're getting paid cash, for instance, um, or you're not getting pay slips, anything along those lines, 
you can add all of that information into record my hours and then you have all of that information in one place um, including like whether or not you got a paid break everything can go in there the other really cool thing about this which is sort of coming soon I think in one of the next updates is that you will have the option of automatic shift recording. So you can turn that on and off. You don't have to have it. Um, but if you choose to, if you're a bit forgetful, like I can be, I know I wouldn't remember to um, record my hours every single time I worked. So what you can do is turn on automatic shift recording coming soon. And that will actually just start recording your shift when you get to work based on um, the location. So you put in that address of your work and then it just knows that you're there. And then it'll send you a bit of a reminder at the end of the day just to make sure you've put in any breaks that you've had and make sure that it's recorded your hours correctly because, you know, if you stay for like a knockoff or something, um, obviously it's going to get your hours a little bit off. Um, so that is also very useful and if you're not getting paid right but you want to um, wait until you found a better job before you start um, dealing with the wage theft at your current one then that's a really good way to go having all those records uh, ready is so so helpful much easier than having to like go back through any past pay slips assuming you've got them or like find all the little bits of paper that you've written things on um, so that is a cracker uh, there's also a bullying and harassment diary it's a really um you know, way too common problem in the industry, in many industries, to be fair, um, is both sexual harassment and bullying. And it's a really hard thing to deal with. And so sort of similar to Record My Hours, but a bit different. It's a place where you can record any incidents, the people who were involved, uh, any witnesses, the date, and having those sorts of records, again, is really important. And sometimes you can't remember all of the details after the fact. So having that all in one place um, is really important. There's also, I know, you'd think that would be enough for one app, but wait, there's more. We also have a bunch of fact sheets, right? So sometimes you just want to know the information. You want to get it really quickly just so you've got it in your head. It might not be that you actually need it right that minute. You just want to know for yourself. So you can have a look through all the fact sheets in the app about things like um, getting paid cash in hand, when that is and isn't legal, um, how annual, annualised salaries work, uh, breaks, a whole bunch of things. Also very helpful. We'll also have coming up chat rooms within the app too. So if you wanted to, for instance, like organise all of your colleagues because everybody at your work is getting ripped off and you know um, that the best way to deal with that is as a group. You could get everybody on to mobilise, get them all in a chat room and know you have a safe place where you can talk about what's going on. Now, I have saved probably like the most complicated and weird bit to last, and that is that alongside our amazing people, experts, we also have an AI bot who can answer some of your questions. Not all of them, but also the bot is getting pretty smart. 50% of people got the information they needed straight away. 
and we're teaching it all sorts of things. So you can ask it to tell you a joke. Look, it's not going to bring the house down, but still it's pretty good for a robot. But yeah, if you have sort of a fairly basic question, then there's a good chance the bot is actually going to answer it instantly, which is, you know, what you want, right? When you want information, you want it straight away. And the more questions we ask it and the different, the more variety in the language that we use to ask the bot questions, the smarter it gets. I'm really excited about where Mobilize will take the industry and how game-changing it is. For, for our industry, the fact that we do have a voice now and that we do have somewhere that people want to hear what we have to say. And Oh, yeah, I'm just so sick of being in fucking kitchens where some idiot is saying some lie about the award and you know it's not true, but because you don't know the award inside and out, you can't tell them that they're wrong. Yeah. And so they just, like, managers justify all this behaviour and they're like, oh, yeah, it's in the award. And you're like, all right, well, which part of the award? Um, <laughs> because, like, the fact that you have mobilised in your back pocket, like, we always carry our phones with us in the kitchen. I know what I do. Yeah. Um, the fact that we can just pull it out and then, like, put a question and then when somebody, you can call bullshit on people now. Like, it's awesome. <laughs> No, I'm going on my break because it's, you know, five and a half hours. And unless you want to pay double time, you know, and they're like, well, where'd you get that from? Mobilize. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just, it's, it is going to be a game changer. And I just, with the legislation changing in Victoria and Queensland, hopefully the other states, because we're working on that, employers can't hide anymore. They, you know, it's up to us to confront them and say and lay it out on the table and if they say no they're in a, a lot of shit like <laughs> they're going down <laughs> they, there's no buts about it so yeah anyway sorry get the app <laughs> i love the passion i love it so much well that sounds really exciting an example of the positive impacts of automation let's keep on asking the questions though like who else has access to the data that's making the mobilised bot so smart or the information you're putting into the app. That's it for Stick Together this week. Thanks for listening. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 0394198377 and leaving us a message. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. I'm Rebecca Mays. Catch you next time.